Hey, we, uh, we're in the Gospel of John this morning. John chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Um, so if you have Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, 894, page 894 uh, is the page that that is on. I uh, would really encourage you to, uh, to make time to come out. It might be a little bit out of your comfort zone. Uh, you don't normally think of like hanging out with people from church and doing like a dance together. It's not always like the natural connection, but would really invite you to do that. I think it's going to be a great venue um, for us to get to know each other and spend time together in a place that we normally don't. And we get to see people's personality come out in a way that we don't always uh, in home meeting, Bible discussions and things like that. So, um, so make plans to be with us there uh, February 21st. It's going to be a great night. I'm particularly excited that I don't have to do a thing to set up this room, uh, nor does anyone else that's part of Liberty Church. The Elks Lodge is, is doing all of that for us. So, um, yeah, make plans to be there for that. Um, well, when I was growing up, there were a series of uh, public service announcements on TV that were all like these anti-drug PSAs. Uh, there was one in particular where a dad finds his son's drug stash uh, under the bed or in the closet. I don't really remember the specifics, but he, but he starts to flip out. And he says, I can't believe it. You know, like, why would you do such a thing? Where did you learn how to do this? And the climactic moment of the the PSA, the camera zooms in on the son's face, who's been silent up to this point, and he looks at the dad and he says, you, I learned it by watching you. It wasn't quite as dramatic as, like, the the egg smashing, like, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. It wasn't quite as dramatic as that one, but it got the point across. Um, And here's why that came to mind this week. Because as people, we have a dangerous tendency to value something, but practice the very opposite. We have a dangerous tendency to value something, but do the exact opposite. To be hypocritical would be another way to to say that. So in this PSA, the dad values his kid growing up without being exposed to drugs, growing up in a drug-free environment. But he himself has created his own home as a drug-using environment. Far from being the only kind of example, this thing exists all over our world, all over our culture. So, for example, the the preacher who calls his congregation to give generously and sacrificially so he can selfishly refuel his private jet. By the way, it is low on fuel, so if you can give extra today, that would be helpful. Uh, A lawyer, a lawyer who speaks of justice, uh, but then spends his days getting criminals acquitted on technicalities. Those are maybe some easy targets in that, but, but in reality, all of us are prone to do this. All of us are guilty of doing this in one way or another. So maybe we value family time, but we spend a couple more hours at the office for the third or fourth day this week, for the third or fourth week this month, because there's a project that just has to get done. Can't wait another day. Or maybe we value seeing the deep and holistic needs of other human beings met as we walk past the homeless person on the street every day on our way to work. The same thing is true when we talk about freedom, this idea of freedom. As, as human beings, we have a dangerous tendency to value freedom, but to practice slavery instead. Our nation's founding document, the, the Declaration of Independence, actually demonstrates this tendency. It's part of our heritage as a country, if this is your, if this is your country. The Declaration of Independence says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So in other words, everybody's equal, 
Uh, everybody has the right to be free, but we're going to practice the enslavement of an entire subset of our population for another 100 years before it's illegal. And it's going to be another 100 years beyond that till the civil rights movement actually makes some substantial changes where some of those rights begin to become equal. And it's another 50, 60 years now since of ongoing racial brokenness, racial tension, racial divide. So we value freedom, but we practice and we propagate and we perpetuate slavery. And even more dangerous, we can become content with the inconsistency. We can become content with that. So for most of us, that's our national heritage. Whether that's your national heritage or not, it's exactly what our spiritual heritage is. Um, We are born with a longing to be free, but we practice and we perpetuate our own slavery spiritually. And so as we're continuing in this series in the Gospel of John this morning, we're going to see that actually that is the primary problem of the human condition. It's the primary problem of humanity and our lives. And yet, into the slavery, into that bondage, Jesus enters as the emancipator. Who is Jesus? That's the question we're asking in this series. Well, here we see in John chapter 8, he is the emancipator. He has come to set the slaves free. So John chapter 8, verses 21 through 36, you can follow along with me as I read that. So he, being Jesus, uh, said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come... And some of us are very aware of how we're enslaved, and some of us aren't. Some of us are very aware of how we have been and and had been in the past enslaved to sin, and some of us aren't. Um, I pray that we would see in your words this morning that have been so um, helpfully and faithfully recorded for us, that we would see our deep need for you to set us free from sin, and that we would rejoice that you have come to do exactly that work. Uh, Open our eyes wider to appreciate the work of Jesus. And we pray that in his name. Amen. 
So three, three things we need to see uh, in, in this particular text this morning that we're in. Um, first, that we are enslaved by sin. Second, that we are emancipated by Jesus. And then third, that we experience that freedom by abiding. So we're enslaved by sin. We're emancipated by Jesus. We experience that freedom by abiding. So first off, we are enslaved by sin. Uh, John 8 uh, if you've been with us, we've been in this series in the Gospel of John. John 8 picks up in the same context that John 7 left off with. So Jesus is speaking to people in Jerusalem um, during this Jewish festival called the Feast of Booths. Uh, and the concept of freedom and slavery, those concepts are particularly appropriate because the Feast of Booths is commemorating and celebrating how God provided for his people in these years that the Israelite people were wandering through the wilderness. They didn't have a permanent home in those years, so they would live out of temporary dwellings. The Feast of Booths, every year, the people would build temporary dwellings and live in them for a week. Now, when did that happen? When were the people of Israel wandering through the desert living in temporary homes? It was after they had been set free from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So as it is to to many cultures, many peoples, um, freedom is really important to the Jewish people of the first century. Um, Their history, the Jewish history, is filled with periods of slavery and then struggle to be free from that slavery. So there were those 400 years in Egypt. There were various other nations that enslaved them during the period of the judges that we read about in that book in the Bible. There's Assyria, the nation of Assyria, um, conquering and then enslaving the northern kingdom of Israel. 150 years later, there's Babylon conquering and enslaving the southern kingdom of Judah. Then there's Persia. Then there's Greece. And even as Jesus is saying these things, though the the Jewish people are technically not slaves, they're subject to the rule of the Roman Empire, as Jesus is saying these things. So the Jewish people, they value freedom, but they aren't free. They aren't free. And that's not primarily a political statement. That's not primarily a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. And one of the strongest evidences that they aren't free is that they don't even know their real condition. So verse 33 says, We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? See, until you're convinced that you're enslaved, you're never going to realize your need for freedom. Until you're convinced that that's your condition, you're never going to see your need to be set free from it. So this is, an, this is an essential starting point on the road to seeing Jesus as the emancipator. If we never see our need, then we're going to remain enslaved forever. And so Jesus so quickly corrects that misconception right after this. Verse 34 says, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. What does he mean when he says that? Well, he says that because the very nature of sin is to stiff-arm the only one who can set us free from it. Sin is is rebellion uh, against God. And because God is the source of life, as we've already seen in John's Gospel, because God is the source of genuine freedom, really to sin, to rebel against God, is to become enslaved and to entrench yourself in it. And as if that weren't devastating enough in and of itself, Jesus has already said earlier in this passage, we just read it a little while ago, that unless we can do something about that, we're going to die in our sin. 
We're going to die in our sins. So this is an eternal kind of slavery. It's not just in this life. It actually impacts what happens after this life in in death. It's an eternal slavery apart from where Jesus himself is going, back to the Father, into a relationship with God the Father. And that's exactly what the Bible speaks about when it talks about hell, a separation from, a breaking of a relationship with God that lasts forever. So it's really crucial for for all of us individually to become convinced of our own slavery so that we'll also then become convinced of our need for freedom. For some of us, that's really easy. And for others of us, that's really difficult. Uh, There are obvious forms of slavery, and there are also less obvious deceptive forms of slavery. So the obvious ones, uh, they make it a lot easier to wake up to this. Uh, If you've ever struggled with addiction, if you currently struggle with addiction, be it substances, you know, drugs or alcohol or sex or any of the other thousands of things you might become addicted to, or if you've made an extreme shipwreck of your life externally in some way, you've gotten into trouble with the law, you know, you've become penniless, you've become homeless for some reason, it might not take a lot of persuasion for you to see that, you've, that you're enslaved to something. It might be fairly obvious for you to wake up to that reality. But there are also deceptive forms of this slavery. Like measuring your life or va- uh, estimating your worth by your accomplishments or by your successes or by your approval from other people or how well your family is doing or how well your career is doing or how well your bank account is doing. And in pursuing those things, it can, it can seem on the outside that your life is going so well, it, it might not feel like slavery at all. So in those moments, you'll actually sound a lot like the Jewish people in verse 33 here. Like, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Why do I need to talk about freedom? That's not me. But in reality, yours would be a fraudulent freedom. It would just be slavery wearing a prettier mask. Under the surface, what you do when you pursue things like success and performance and approval and you base your life, you measure your life on those things, you create an approach to life that is completely based on your own effort and your own ability. And if we're honest with ourselves, nobody lets us down like we let us down. Nobody lets you down like you do. So when you inevitably drop the ball, not if, when, the whole thing can become unraveled so quickly and you can immediately then see how enslaved you were hiding in that for however long it took. Uh, how many of you guys have ever seen the 1998 movie The Truman Show? Have you seen the movie The Truman Show? Uh, Jim Carrey uh, plays Truman Burbank, who from the time that he is born uh, is the subject of a 24-7, 365 reality TV show. He's born on live TV. He lives his entire life on live TV. He just doesn't know it. He doesn't know that that's happening. Um, what he thinks is, is real life is really just an elaborate film studio. And the people that he knows, all the relationships that he has, including his wife and his best friend, they're just actors. They're paid actors. So many people live their lives like Truman. So many people live their lives like Truman. They go about their daily lives, their daily routines thinking that they're free, thinking that there's nothing odd about their condition, failing to recognize the gigantic, elaborate cage that's been constructed around them. Left to ourselves, we're we're not free. 
We're not free. Everyone who sins, Jesus says, everyone who sins, be it by outright rejection of God or be it by a cleverly disguised plan where we earn something from God, where we put God in our debt, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Both of those are rejections of the only one who can set us free. And therefore, we become enslaved to our own inability to save ourselves, to rescue ourselves from that condition. So the sooner that we wake up to realize our actual condition that we're enslaved to sin, the sooner that is that we'll realize our desperate need to be set free from it. And thankfully, that's not where the story ends. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. It's exactly what Jesus came to do. Though we are enslaved to sin, secondly, we are emancipated by Jesus. Verse 36, famous verse in the Bible, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. Jesus, who is the Son of God, he enters into human history as the Son of Man. We sang about that in that song a little while. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man, that he might set us free from this slavery in which we find ourselves. Okay, how does he do that? How does he set us free? He does that by offering himself as our ransom, as the payment for our freedom from this slavery. There's all kinds of, uh, of pictures in the Bible that, that illustrate um, what salvation looks like. Helpful metaphors, helpful images. Um, there's images from the courtroom. There's images from the family. This is an image from, the, uh, from commerce, from the commercial venues and, exp- and ex- explorations of people. It's, uh, it's called redemption. It's the fancy word that we use for it. Redemption is a picture of our salvation that borrows from commerce. And redemption means that something is bought back or bought out of its current state. And, you know, at this point in history, you could redeem land, uh, you could redeem animals, you could even redeem people through the payment of, of some price. Well, with an eternal slavery, something that Jesus says here is going to lead to death separated from God, the, the ransom payment, the ransom price, is going to be incredibly costly. Incredibly costly. It's something so costly that human beings can't pay it themselves. And so, like Jesus says about himself in Mark chapter 10, he comes not to be served, but he comes to serve. He comes to serve and specifically to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus comes, why he comes, his mission as he enters into human history is to become the ransom, to become the payment for sin. And he becomes exactly that specifically through his death on the cross. As he says here in in verse 28, he will be lifted up. The Son of Man will be lifted up. He will be nailed to beams of wood. He will be hoisted and then dropped into place so that passerby can spit upon him and mock him and scorn him. And think about the paradox of that picture. The inherently and eternally free Son of God, subjected to death to purchase the freedom for enslaved men and women like you and me. He takes our condition upon himself so that we might actually experience his condition of freedom. Here's what I love about this. Jesus didn't just come into human history to like speak about this and talk about freedom as an important concept. You know, there are many great orders in our day and days gone by 
They speak about concepts. They help energize us and get us excited about what could be. Okay, Jesus does that, but he also comes to be the very source of that freedom through the cost of his own blood. So he is literally the emancipator. He is the one who sets us free, not just speaking about it, not just orchestrating it, but by becoming the payment for sin himself. And this is such a a significant picture of salvation that we named our church after it. In case, in case you've ever like, wondered why we just can't seem to spell liberty like a normal human being would, this is why. Um, in English, liberty, spelled with a Y, the normal way, is a noun. That it's, it's the concept. It's the notion of freedom. We, we spell it the weird way with an I at the end. That's a Latin word. And it actually is not the concept. It's actually speaking about people who have been set free from slavery. So liberty, with an I at the end, it means freed people, emancipated people, people who were enslaved by sin, unable to gain the freedom that we so deeply needed and longed for, and yet Jesus, lifted up in our place, pays our ransom so that we might truly be free. So so let's apply this in a really important way to something that we've just done together this morning. Um, We just welcomed seven men and women into covenant with us. And even in that like couple-minute snapshot of their story, I'm sure you already could perceive this, there are differences in people's stories. Drastic differences in people's stories. Some people have much more dramatic stories, tragic and horrible circumstances that their life entailed, major consequences of sin, either someone else's sin on them or their own sin, heartbreak. And then Jesus enters into the mess, and he brings radical change to the point that you might not even recognize them if you knew them 20 years ago, five years ago. Radical change. Now, some stories are a lot less dramatic. Um, People who grew up in intact families, intact Christian families, um, they learned the gospel at a young age. They've grown, of course, a ton in what that looks like in their life, but they've been following Jesus without any major detours or course corrections in their life. They might not look that different, on the outside, from what their life looked like five years ago, 20 years ago. It's a really sad thing that can start to happen when we hear the differences in these stories. Maybe you've even experienced that a little bit uh, today in hearing the, the, the seven snapshots that we heard. We can start to really appreciate the more dramatic stories and then cheapen the less dramatic ones. Like, I know my own tendency to do exactly that. Uh, if there were ever to be a book written about Deb Miller's life, I'm buying it. Sign me up. I want to read that. I don't want to read a book about my own life. I have no desire to do that. And and not just because it's my own life. That'd be weird, I guess. But I didn't really think that one through. But because I don't have near as dramatic of a story. I grew up in a great family, a Christian family. I don't look a ton different externally. I mean, I've grown a lot, hopefully. But from what I look like at, at age, you know, 15, Maybe you've thought that about yourself. Maybe you've thought, if you're a Christian that has a less dramatic story, maybe you've thought your story's boring. Uh, Maybe you've thought it's not really worth a whole lot because it's not that dramatic or radical of a change. Maybe you're even tempted to embellish what's happened in your life to make it sound more interesting, which I think now we refer to as the Brian Williams. Too soon? Too soon? No, No apologies for that one. Hey, here's the thing. Here's the thing in that. Because Jesus is the emancipator, it means that without embellishing at all, you do have a dramatic story. 
you do have a dramatic story. The very same freedom has to be purchased for you whether you grew up in a Christian family or not. And particularly students and young people, make sure you stay with me on this one. Your Christian parents can never set you free from slavery to sin. Your Christian parents can never, just by being in their family, gain this for you. Only Jesus could ever do that. So let's never shortchange the deep and miraculous and transformative power of God that it requires to make a dead heart alive, to make an enslaved heart free. We're enslaved to sin, but Jesus purchases our freedom by his death, and he makes us free, free indeed, as it says in 36, verse 36. That brings us to our last point. We experience this freedom by abiding. We're enslaved to sin. We're emancipated by Jesus We experience this freedom by abiding. The Christian life is always a call to become who you already are. Don't work to earn something. Become who you already are. So when we believe in Jesus, something changes fundamentally. Our status, our standing before God changes. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We are free. We are. And yet, functionally, there's this constant pull back into slavery back to our old ways of thinking, back into our former pursuits. We can love our Jesus-bought freedom and yet practice and perpetuate our own slavery. That's exactly what the people in the churches of Galatia were tempted to do. If you were with us a couple falls ago, we studied the book of Galatians. Um, These people were already Christians. By believing in Jesus, they had already done everything that they needed to do to experience this emancipation from slavery to sin. But there were certain people who came and tried to convince them that that faith was insufficient. That they needed not just Jesus, but they needed Jesus plus something else. The Apostle Paul, in that book, uses really strong language and imagery to rebuke that thought completely. He says, it is for freedom you have been set free. It's for freedom you've been set free. Don't go back again to that yoke of slavery. Don't put that burden on you that you've been set free from. So how do we live out this freedom that we already have through Jesus? How do we enjoy that freedom? Jesus actually tells those who believe how to enjoy it right here in this text. Verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How? Jesus says, Abide. Abide. Abide means to remain in, to continue in, to live in, to rest in. So we are meant to remain connected to Jesus in an ongoing, second-by-second kind of way. We're We're not emancipated by Jesus to then be emancipated from Jesus. We're emancipated by Jesus to abide in him. And see, these people that Jesus is talking about there in verse 31, he's talking to, um, they've already believed. It's the Jews who have already believed. So fundamentally, they're already free. But just like those of us who believe today, we are set free to stay free, not to return again to slavery. The problem is, is that our own hearts and minds become our own worst enemy in this all the time. John Calvin, famous reformer, talked about the human heart being a factory of idols. We're constantly producing new things that aren't God that we worship and devote our lives to. Okay, really similar to that thought, our hearts are constantly turning out shackles, new shackles, new prison cells that would enslave us, that would keep us from experiencing this freedom that is ours. 
So we value freedom, but we practice and perpetuate our own slavery. Instead of that, Jesus says, abide, abide, remain and live in my word. Doing that actually demonstrates that we truly belong to him as his disciples. And also, it means that we are given everything that we need to stay free and to enjoy that freedom. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is a famous verse, famous passage in the Bible but sometimes we use it for the wrong purposes. See, much more than a statement about apologetics or a statement about knowing absolute truth, this is Jesus arming the men and women he has set free to combat the lies that will come and attempt to re-enslave them. He's saying, know the truth because that's how you will combat the lies. Because come they will. Come they will. Satan would love nothing more for you to waste your time and your energy and your life believing lies that keep you enslaved when Jesus the Emancipator has come to set us free. So practically, what does it look like to abide in Jesus' word, to know the truth, to be set free? Literally hundreds of examples we could use here. I'm going to close this morning just with two. A couple examples of what it might look like to abide in Jesus' word, to know the truth, to be set free. Okay. When you're tempted to measure your life and your worth by your performance, which I think is a struggle that many of us in the room experience because most of us come from middle and upper middle class backgrounds. You know, We would be those who are probably more susceptible to the deceptive forms of slavery than those who are in abject poverty or immense drug addictions, things like that. When we are tempted to measure our lives and our worth by performance, abiding in Jesus' word means that we know the truth that our lives are never based upon our performance. They're always based instead on the perfect performance of Jesus. It means we know that truth. And knowing that truth sets us free from the slavery to our own inability, to our own failures when they come. Another example, when you're filled with the shame of falling back into a sin that will not go away, and I don't know what that is for you, be it pride or pornography or anything else, that you just cannot seem to kick this particular kind of sin. Abiding in Jesus' word means you know the truth that the ransom paid in full by Jesus means sin has no dominion over you anymore. It means sin has no dominion over you Anymore, It has power, and you know that well. But that power has actually been destroyed already by the finished work of Jesus. So here's the beauty. Sin is not inevitable. It's not inevitable, and your fight against it is not futile. Knowing that truth sets you free from the slavery of giving your sin more credit than you give to Jesus. So here's the question. Are you free Men and women, are you free? Are you experiencing, are you enjoying this freedom that has been purchased by you, for you, by the blood of Jesus? If, if something resonated with you when you heard those examples, whether it was in the lie that you yourself might believe or whether it was in the truth that you need to hear to combat that lie, let me invite you, and, and actually even, um, even stronger than that, let me just plead with you. Don't, remain in that place. Don't remain in that place enslaved to sin when freedom has been bought for you.
by Jesus. Invite somebody else to help you expose the lies and see the truth. Come, come talk to me during communion this morning. Come pray with me in the back. Um, talk to your home meeting leader. Talk to the friend that brought you this morning. But don't value and long for freedom, but practice and perpetuate your own slavery any longer. So church, uh, may we never lose the awe and the gratitude that should characterize a freed people. Because that is exactly who we are. We are a freed people. May we never forsake our freedom and return to a yoke of slavery. May we abide in Jesus that we may know the truth, that we may experience the freedom that's already been purchased for us. And more than anything, may our freedom always exalt the one who has made us free. Jesus Christ is the emancipator, and we who were once enslaved to sin have been set free indeed. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we so desperately need the freedom that you have secured for us. And yet, we are pulled back into our own slavery. And we believe lies rather than your truth. Would you help us to know the truth that we might be set free? May we see that because you have set us free, we are free indeed. There is nothing that has more weight than that. There is nothing that trumps that. The freedom you have bought for us is secure because you have done it, and that work is finished. And as we come to this table this morning, we see you as our ransom. The cost that you had to pay to set us free from this slavery was your life, was your blood and your body sacrificed for us. You have paid that price. You have set us free through it. So may we come with this beautiful and difficult combination of sobriety, somberness, seeing what what we would be subject to apart from you is this cost that set us free, and yet you've paid it in full, and we are free. So may we come rejoicing as well. We're grateful to you, Jesus, for the great salvation you've purchased. You are our emancipator. And we we pray uh, this all in your name. Amen.